Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Jordana from Netflix, to talk with us about various solutions for building a native mobile application. Welcome, Jordana. Thank you for joining us. Can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Uh, hello, my name is Jordana, and I am a UI engineering manager at Netflix. Uh, my team is responsible for building uh, the iOS application for Netflix. All the people using and watching Netflix, your team is responsible for doing that. Yes, uh, primarily the member experience. So anything after a member logs in to the application. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, what's your favorite happy hour beverage? I think it would just be a simple gin and tonic. Ooh, Good choice. Nice. Yeah, I knew Jem was going to say like he's a big fan of the gin and tonic as well. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. So what did we decide today's keyword is? Cross-platform. All right. So from now on, if we say the word cross-platform, we will all take a drink. Well, let's jump right in. My first question to both you, well, to all of us, is what's the difference between a hybrid and native mobile application? I think a hybrid application, at least, you know, I guess a popular interpretation of a hybrid application, is really one where uh, it involves a web view that is embedded within a wrapper application. Right. So you can still write client side JavaScript that we would do on the web, but now we can load this in the iOS or Android application. Yes, and then there would be a bridge into the native side of things that uh, the JavaScript code can access. And then that would give us the advantages of being able to take advantage of the camera or calendar or any of the amazing application uh, things that we'd take advantage of on the iOS and Android side. Yes. Um, and to me, like one of the things I always think of like when I'm, what is a hybrid app? I'm like, well, you have a lot of great options. You could be writing that in like Cordova or Ionic. The new Google one is Flutter. I guess React Native and Flutter are. Those, yeah, are those hybrid apps? I was just going to say, this is yeah. Why I think the question is interesting. It is an interesting question because I'm almost saying those are more, a lot closer to a full native view mm -hmm. versus like a web view. You are, that's hybrid. Yeah. You're dealing with a bridge you're dealing with the web-based code that is now producing the views and some of the interactions that are happening on the UI. But yeah, React Native and things like Flutter. Yeah, they are, they are you know, the underlying kind of uh, code that it is using to render is actually fully native. Yeah. So, you know, what do you call that? Is it kind of partial native or is it pseudo native? I've, I've seen those terms. Yeah, I wouldn't call it hybrid though. Like yeah. I think we can call it out, or it's outside of that category. Uh -huh. It's like, I like the partial or pseudo. And then where does some, is phone gap still a thing? Pretty sure. Okay. I'm like, I haven't, I don't I, hear. I've not, yeah, kind of really kept up with some of those uh, web view options um, because yeah, they've, they've been around for, for a while. And, you know, because of these new things like React Native, Flutter, kind of coming, you know, into the community, people are just like switching over and maybe maybe it's possible that, you know, some of the old web view options kind of like, you know, are maybe the communities are shrinking a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either because now you're actually getting, you know, that pseudo native application and getting a lot closer to a full native view with JavaScript leveraging something like React Native. So that, that I wouldn't be surprised too. And I guess like Cordova kind of fits into that uh, mm -hmm. category as well, where when I hear people talk about 
the WebView implementation, I hear Cordova a lot more than I've ever heard PhoneGap recently. So that's why I was like, is it still a thing? I don't know. I think there's three types. There's like native native jordan what'd you what'd you call it earlier uh, fully native fully native there's fully native as in it's yep. like written in written for the phone written directly. in, in sort of objective c swift for ios or java um, and or, java or kotlin for android then there's hybrid which is like a native app with a web view some parts maybe web view some parts maybe native then there's that weird in between where something's compiled down to native but mm-hmm. it wasn't originally so like react native is a good example of yeah. that it wasn't originally written on Native, native. Yeah. Native, native, fully native. Yeah. Love so it. I don't know All what to right. call that. that so there's like, we've, I think we've made three buckets right yeah. there. Yeah. The compiled down one might be the pseudo or partial. Yeah. So those are your three buckets. And I, I feel like, you know, some of the non fully native solutions and the reason they kind of exist to me seems to be around, um, you know, kind of write once, run anywhere, cross platform solution. Yeah. Cheers. 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 <laughs> okay. I think we've well defined yeah. it. Because that helps. Like, I think it's it's important to understand the various buckets that are out there when thinking about a mobile application. And I don't think you have to necessarily be, I think Jordana, you touched on is like, you don't have to be one or the other. It's mm-hmm. like, it kind of can fit in that realm of hybrid where you can have portions of an app fully native. You could have it be pseudo with React native. Or you could also have some web views in there that have it more of the hybrid. So I think you're you're not bound to one or the other, which is kind of nice too. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fourth bucket, which is uh, progressive web apps, which are completely web view, mm, no native at yeah. all. And but it's true. And they're treated yes. as an application. They can look like an application. They can like look an and feel like an application. There's That's no there's no browser Chrome. It is really made to feel like an application, which we've talked about progressive web apps on previous episodes. And we have almost put that in that bucket. So you're right, Jim. We should have added that in as a bucket too. So there's four. Four buckets. Four buckets. It's hard. So I think I think what people would want to know is, I'm starting a company tomorrow. Which solution do I go with? Because they all have pros and cons. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think that's what this discussion definitely is about, is I don't think there's an answer. Like, I truly don't believe there's a right answer. I think there, to your point, there's trade-offs and it's really understanding what are you trying to achieve mm-hmm. in the short term, also the long term, because your short term might be to ship something very quickly to both iOS and Android and you have a very small team and you might rely on something like a WebView implementation or you might rely on something like React Native because it gets you a lot closer to being write once. It's not perfectly write once, but it's very close to that versus writing fully native Objective-C or Swift or Java or Kotlin on the Android side. But I think that always goes to my head as like, you know, what does the team look like? What's the skill set? And then, you know, how do you scale this app? And how, like, is it short term to get it out the door? Or is it like the long term of performance and longevity? Well, let, let's start at the top. Yeah. E- easy enough. Yeah. Uh, so fully native. Jordana, you could speak best to that. What are what are the pros and cons of writing Objective-C or Kotlin or Java for your app? Yeah. So one of the barriers uh, to entry for some of these um, kind of native apps is really the development environment. Um, you know, for iOS, you would have to use Xcode, 
which is um, something provided by Apple. And o- only on OS X, we yes, should point out. On, they, yes, they have yes. made no effort to make a Windows version of Xcode. No. No. And so you're there again, you're writing on a certain machine now, like you're stuck to that. Yeah. And for Android, you'd use Android Studio. Um, I believe there is, you know, both Windows and, and Mac uh, versions. So a little bit more kind of uh, available to yeah. uh, developers. And the language itself, there's two choices for both uh, currently. So on iOS, uh, you can write in Objective-C. Um, there is kind of like a, an interesting learning curve to that language. It is actually, you know, really built upon um, Java as a language, but it looks totally different. Yes. <laughs> Even though they the concepts are very similar, it's just a lot of, a lot of people, especially if you've been doing JavaScript for a while, it's like a total turnoff. Like, like you know, the square brackets everywhere, uh, semicolons. <laughs> So uh, if you look at Swift, on the other hand, which is, uh, you know, a newer language, I think it came, uh, it was announced like five years ago, maybe. Yeah, I think in yeah. 2013 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's not, there, it's not stabilized yet. So, you know, it's still, there are still changes to language that are breaking changes, but the syntax and the concepts are closer, actually, much more to JavaScript. Yeah, it, like looking at the syntax is, reminds me a lot more of JavaScript. Whereas Objective-C definitely does not. I looked at Objective-C once and I looked at it and I'm like, I'm not going to learn this entire language just so I can build apps for one specific platform. Like it just doesn't carry over to any other platforms. Uh, I don't know anybody else using Objective-C for anything. I So correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Swift was like sort of deprecated. People are not using it as much because it, like the the build is so intensive that people decided it was just too slow. So I wouldn't say it's deprecated because Apple is still putting steam behind it. Uh, so they're still putting efforts to improve the well, the build times or just, you know, with any languages, there's always improvements. And so Apple as is investing in that and, and building out that language more. But there have been companies that have switched their thinking on it or ha- either haven't adopted it yet or have adopted it and started to go back to Objective-C because of some of the slow build times. And I'm sure, Jordana, you can speak to that as well as even for Netflix of like us trying to decide when's the right time to invest in Swift or you know what does that look like? Yeah, uh, there have been a lot of developments um, around Swift. And actually, the Swift community is growing. It's not um, you know, shrinking in any way. So the uh, amount, of, it's, it's actually an open source language, you know, it's uh, backed by Apple. So yeah, I shouldn't they, say it's coming out of yeah, Apple, but so, they, they're pushing behind, they're, yeah. they have power behind it. So it isn't getting deprecated. It's like older versions of it are. Yes. So like, say you're going from version one to two, two to three, there are breaking changes. So if you had written something for version two, you would have to, you know, migrate to three. Um, version five is when it's going to be stable, at least according to Apple. We don't know when this is going to happen. And that is when, you know, most people will probably start thinking very seriously about, hey, you know, now this is stable, we can like, you know, work on something a little bit more stable. But I do know a lot of companies have switched to it entirely. And, you know, it's like just a full migration over. And then other companies are doing like, you know, some hybrid approach. Where they have some views written in in uh, Objective C, but some of it written in uh, Swift. Yes. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that 
plays out. Yeah. And the build times are supposed to be getting faster, I've heard. Yeah. So actually, they've I think they've uh, kind of gotten pretty close uh, with the latest version. And the thing that some people are thinking about are some of the side effects, like, you know, the package size, like how big does this make our app? And the reason why it's kind of bigger is because it has to like package up some of those, you know, Swift libraries. Whereas once it gets, you know, uh, fully stabilized, then it's going to be just part of the OS. Gotcha. So it actually does take some investment from Apple at that point to include more of these libraries into the OS. Mm -hmm. So the cons of fully native are development environment is can be cumbersome, um, such as if you're trying to do it right in iOS, you need a Mac to write it. I have installed both of those environments before, and they're they're pretty hefty, and they're not trivial to set up. I mean, they're not that hard, but it's definitely, it's going to take a while. The learning curve on specifically Objective-C. What are some of the pros, though? Yeah, so um, I like to view the pros a lot from the angle of, you know, the product itself. Uh, that is part of like what you mentioned before, like, hey, uh, one of the things is you want to look at the goals, right? The objective of what you're trying to develop. And if you're trying to develop something that is, you know, very kind of like performant for that one platform, then, you know, this this totally makes sense. Hey, you're trying to build the best app possible on iOS or the best, you know, app possible on Android. But if you're thinking, hey, I want to build, um, you know, something that works for both, works cross-platform. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah, if, if you're trying to build something that works on both, then maybe, you know, native is not something that um, you, you'd want to invest in, having to, you know, have to learn both. Or even, like, you know, build the team up to support both. I think that's the other aspect of it. Having Android and iOS, you almost need at least one or two engineers focused on one on one or two on Android, one or two on iOS, versus in some of these other implementations, you might be able to get away with like one person almost shipping to both. Like that's that's you know the pipe dream, but I think you can think about it as like, do you ha does your team support having that uh, both platforms? Jordan, Ryan, we're. You're, you're back on the cons again. No, no, we're talking about pros now. Pros. Oh yeah. So another yeah. con let's is go back. Let's <laughs> development is not is not scalable. Uh, it's not as easily scalable as it is going other methods. We can say. For me, it's the performance, though. Honestly, and the user experience. I think to me that time and time again, think what do I think about when I think native? It's like those interactions that a user has. Do they actually feel really native? Is it performant? Does the app load immediately? Those little things, those are the interactions of the polish that you'll get with a full native implementation. With some of these other implementations, they're they're good, but they're just not as good as the full native implementation. And that, to me, is always the biggest selling point. Yeah, and I think another one is reliability. Ooh, that's good too. That because if you think about, like if you were wanting to make an app that's reliable in like really choppy network conditions, which mobile devices often are in, um, you probably want to think about how do I handle, uh, you know, offline conditions, persisting data, like with a progressive web app, you know, what kind of, you know, work would you have to do to, to support that? It's a lot, you know, trickier than, you know, with a native solution where you actually have access to a lot more of the, um, you know, storage mechanisms on, you know, the platform and maybe even like some of the network libraries and handling of those network errors. 
Yeah, and another, even to the connectivity is always important of network. I even think about the initial download size. I think something to really call out that's important to think about when you're using, let's say like React Native is a good implementation where we said it was like the pseudo native. Uh, So we're almost there. We're, We're able to write JavaScript, but it's not full, full native. Well, even something like React Native, it's going to feel fairly native-like, but it comes at a cost there too, is you now have to add an additional library to your app binary size, which maybe in certain parts of the US, we're like, ah, you know, a couple megs is not a big deal to download an app. But when you're thinking about someone who may have bandwidth constraints, that's a huge amount of additional bloat to add to your app just to add the library. That's before you've created views or doing any work. And so I think that that's a positive on the going full native is you're going to build it at a smaller app binary as well. Yeah, so okay, so sum up fully native. Um, development is gonna be harder. I'll just sum up all those points. Development yep. is gonna be much more difficult finding developers who can do native. Those are the con, that's the con. The pro is it's gonna be the most performant type of app you can build. Debugging should be easier because there's a lot of tooling built in. Reliability should be better because you can build for all that. And most of all, you can take advantage of every single one of the device capabilities, which is not true for other platforms. Yeah. I mean, to touch on that a little bit is you can always opt for adding like Jordana touched on the bridge. There are ways that you can talk to those native uh, features that in the OS, you can write some actual native code that will work with that hybrid web view or, you know, a React native implementation. There are ways, but I think it goes back to it's just, it's not out of the box. It's it's going to take some additional effort. And the debugging is obviously going to be harder because you're you're now dealing with different layers and passing back and forth between over this bridge. So what about hybrid apps? So something... Did we decide on hybrid apps being like native or Flutter? Something that compiles down from another language to native code. Yeah, so your your React Native, your Flutter, your WebView, Cordova, Ionic. There's, there's actually two more that I can think of that we haven't mentioned. All right. <laughs> so these are more around game development. You know, Unity, for example. Yes. It is a cross-platform. Again. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> It's a cross-platform game engine. Yes. I forgot about Unity. That's a great point. And, you know, with uh, Unity, if you think about, like, some of the pros and cons, um, it is a proprietary platform. So, you know, depending on what you're trying to build, you would have to pay for a license to, to actually use it. Um, it is C and C++. So, you know, that is a very, I guess, a... Uh, cross-platform language. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Gemini should be saying cross-platform more. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. So a con would be you are now dependent on some other company or whoever maintains that that bridge or compiler, whatever you want to call it. So like if I write React Native, I'm dependent on Facebook who maintains React Native to fix those issues that I have. Or or it's open source community. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say it's like you could go in and add in the feature or support that or say like Android or, and iOS both ship a brand new feature that now you want to take advantage of. Well, someone in the React Native community is going to have to write that feature in React Native to now be able to support it. You could be that person that does it, but that's a cost because now you have to go do that or someone else in the community does. I think uh, another con would be 
because you're not the code that you're writing is not the code that is running per se, you still need to have some experience in how to debug a native app because at some point you'll be like, well, is this a bug in my code or is this a bug in the way it's compiled down or is it a bug in like the actual uh, device itself? And so you still need some experience. Like you can't just say like, oh, I'm going to write React Native. I don't need to know how to anything about Android or iOS. You still need to have some sort of knowledge there. I completely agree. You definitely need it. And also now that made me think about it too is to Jordana's like point on the fully native is that you have to have these like Android Studio or Xcode. Well, guess what? With React Native, you need that too. So like you're not, you still need those installed. You're not totally getting away from it. Uh, another another con would be uh, you don't, you mentioned earlier, but you don't have full access to um, the device's capabilities. For instance, we couldn't run react native for our netflix app itself because there's drm protection and things like that that i don't believe are accessible through when you compile it down so it'd have to be written natively is that correct Jordana? so so with react native it's it's interesting the way it's architected um it doesn't really compile down so what what it really does is when you're writing javascript it runs in a javascript vm so on ios it's like javascript core and that um passes, there's actually a bridge here, <laughs> the messages over to the native side, and there is a corresponding kind of set of code in React Native, but written in Objective-C, that kind of like interprets that you know message and kind of, sometimes it's a one-to-one -one match almost to a native implementation. So you could expose it, you could say, hey, I have this like, you know, um, video player, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to... You know, use that as an example that uh, I re-expose on, on the JavaScript side. And that would work. Uh, so you could just go in and, you know, add a lot of these components. And, um, you know, the, the, there's a tax then, right? That you're, you're still developing native, then re-exposing it to JavaScript. So that is a, you know, at least with React Native, one of those costs. Uh, I believe with Flutter, for example, it's a little different the way, you know, um, it's done there because there isn't really a one-to-one -one kind of um, kind of implementation. Uh, Dart does get, you know, compiled down, like you said. <laughs> and that is a, a different um, rendering engine that they've, you know, they're using under the hood. I believe it's called Skia. Skia. So I had not you, heard that. So Skia is actually, you know, something that Google develops. And I think they use it for some things like Google Chrome and some other things, uh, you know, th across some, you know, uh, Google solutions, I guess. But it, it under the hood, it uses OpenGL. So it is using, like, say, graphics APIs yeah. to actually do the rendering. So it's not like, hey, I'm mapping one view to another native view. It's like they're just drawing it from scratch. Interesting. Okay, that actually makes a lot of sense in even understanding the difference between Flutter and React Native. Uh, I mean, I can see some benefits to both. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. And it's like for, I think in, you know, if you're writing something in Flutter, then, you know, you're probably, it's still going to be backed by some kind of like native uh, code there, but not in the same way. So that's a pro. So I can theoretically write once for two different platforms and it should compile or run in a VM or whatever is the underlying mechanism. That's a pretty big pro. You don't need as many developers to develop an app. Absolutely. And I think I like React Native's approach to what it's called is they say it's it's not a write-once solution, 
but I always think about it, it's fairly close. And where the differences are there is that, yeah, you might have to implement one feature very specifically to Android and very specifically to iOS, but say like 80 or 90% of the app can be right once and you get that cross-platform support. Cheers. 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 So both Flutter and React Native have a declarative UI. So it's very it's very different instead of like an, using an imperative way to write your UI it's very declarative um with react native it's you know like you're writing react yes. web code um similar flutter similarly flutter does uh something that looks very much like it I think yeah I'm glad you brought that up and also another point to that is that I think some there has been some misunderstandings that sometimes people think if they're writing React JavaScript on the browser that they can then just ship it to React Native. They're they're different in the sense that they're they're very similar, but the views are actually written different. You're not writing divs, you're actually writing native uh, views in, in the React Native side. So it's not a write once for web, iOS, and Android. So I think that's something to also call out. Yeah, I think I think the power with declarative UI is that you're writing in, you know, a way where you're describing the UI and not really like mutating it. You're describing, hey, this is what it looks like. Here are things that are going to change, like state, you know, props, right? And then that affects how the UI looks versus, hey, I'm going to, you know, take this instance of this view and then, um, you know, kind of manipulate it, you know, directly i always get confused on declarative versus imperative i always think of something like react writing something in react is declarative like this is the thing that is going to be rendered in exactly like this maybe not exactly but pretty close versus something like sql is imperative where you're like i want to select all these things and get this but i'm not directly doing that i'm just like hoping the underlying engine like is smart enough to do what you asked it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's always like the my go-to on like trying to describe both of those in my head. Yeah, and it, I I do find that like with a declarative approach, it does lead to kind of less uncertainty around um you know say bugs and things that might come up. Like usually, sometimes if you mutate something, some weird side effect happens, like you know three layers deep, and you don't realize it. Uh, whereas you know something with declarative is less likely to happen. I'm anti-magic, and that's like imperative programming it tends to have a lot of magic in it. And I'm like, why did this do this? Oh, because it, it this. just works. Everybody knows, uh, well, most people know I'm not a fan of Ruby on Rails because there's a lot of magic in there that I just, I'm sure if you get it, it you're really proficient at it. But like, I, I prefer to see like this, 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 and this, but that's just me. Oh, I just thought of a yet another one. Oh, awesome. Hot reloading. How did we I not know. cover That's that? <laughs> yeah, both Flutter and React Native uh, support hot reloading. Yeah, and hot reloading is amazing. That is actually a huge selling point. The Just to be able to develop and see those changes immediately. That is huge. Oh, the pain of recompiling every single time. Hoping your machine is fast enough to recompile. All right, so pros of pseudo-native. I think we've, we've landed on pseudo-native. Development is just going to be much easier. Debugging may not be easier per se, but development is going to be much faster. It's much easier to find someone who can pick up Flutter or React Native or something like that. The cons are it's not going to be as performant as fully native. That's debatable among the community. Okay. Depends on the use case. Yeah, the cons 
also the the binary size binary will size, increase yeah. because you're now adding an additional library, especially on Android. It actually gets a lot larger than even iOS. It is still an abstraction. It's not fully native. So there's always like the, well, I guess you said the debugging and, and it is an abstraction. You're also waiting for the language to support certain features or you have to be the one to go write that and pave the way. All right. So I'm also interested. We've talked about this pseudo and then the full native. What about the hybrid, which is what we've kind of defined as the web view, which a web view is really just loading that browser code that you've written. And it really is more of that cross-platform right once. Cheers. 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 So what are the benefits? Let's start there. What are the benefits that you would want to use a web view? To me, you get the benefits of fully native and pseudo native because let's say, uh, for instance, I'm building a game. I can build the parts that I need to run at 60 frames a second, like as performant as possible. I can build that native. But if we had, say, I don't know, um, a login page or a help page, I can just build that in a web view in HTML because I don't need to code that out because one needs to be performant. So you kind of get the, the benefits of like performance plus the speed of development where you need it. Right. And you're also actually not having to ship those additional views, right? I mean, it's small, but if you've got your game or something like that, and then you have like a login or help page or feedback page, I mean, you don't have to ship that with the app. It's outside of the app. It's in the web browser, which also that's a benefit, but also you don't have to be held to the release cycle of submitting an app release. You can just make the change yeah. outside of it. That's a pretty big I one. I didn't even think of uh, discoverability as like part of your app. Mm -hmm. uh, native or pseudo native, you get in the app store or the play store. With the other solutions, you don't necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Submitting the app is, uh, you know, um, at least on the iOS side, you do need to submit to Apple, and there is a full review process. Uh, same with Google. So, you know, the the time it takes for something to get approved and actually fully released is, you know, a little bit longer than if you just kind of like deployed, you know, what changed, you know, a web package to your CDN or something like that. It's a lot faster yes. to do that. So yeah, development on the web view, you can turn things around a lot faster. If you're wanting to make changes and just keep going and iterating, that's a lot quicker. So that's one huge benefit. What are some cons? Wow. Uh, I mean, performance, right? Always going to come down to that is the performance of the loading. And what's happening is you have the native layer that now instantiates a web view, which then the web view calls a your server that renders your browser code. I'm talking about all these network hops that are happening. And then to just render that view versus the native side is like, oh, there's your view. It's there. So that's huge. But then also the user interactions, writing some of the swiping or interactions that you want to make something feel native and writing that in browser code is not easy. It's very difficult. Jam, I've seen you having to do that. Um, <laughs> and and it, it becomes a lot more cumbersome on the engineer to do it, to make it feel native. I'll call out Jem for one implementation where he's actually been able to make it it feel native where there was a web view. I was like, this feels native, but it takes a lot of additional work uh, to get it there. It took a lot of work to get it 60 frames a second. On the fully native side, it's like two lines of code. I'm not sure if you know anyone you know is aware that the Netflix iOS app, uh, let's say, I think it was like four years, four or five years ago, maybe. Yeah, Actually, it was about four. four years. Yeah. Um, 
it was a web app up until that point. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I actually started here as a JavaScript engineer. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> JavaScript code, HTML, CSS, and tried to make things look super native. I think you know, we got to a point where most people didn't realize that it was a web, like a hybrid app. I got to say, when I joined Netflix, that was right when the discussions were happening of like, okay, we need to switch iOS to be fully native. Or I think there were also conversations of like, do we do something of that pseudo implementation? But I was blown away. I was like, wait, that's a web view? Like I had no idea from an outside perspective. And I was blown away at some of the stuff that was done in that web view implementation. So well done, Jordana. Thanks, nice Joe. Well, there was a whole team that finally. <laughs> oh, no, no, you did it. They're not here. You can take full credit. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, it was a lot of work to get like the scrolling, um, you know, down so that it's like, hey, we're not dropping any frames. There were things with like the animations that you, you had to work and jump through hoops to really get to something that looked native. And, you know, after a while, when we started getting more and more like product requirements, when you, when you think about like, Things that uh, native apps started having at the time, like, hey, there's inline video playback. Yep. And then you're like, oh my gosh, how do I do this in a hybrid app with a web view? When we had like one HTML5 video tag, <laughs> right? It was it was like not doable. So I mean, you ha at that point you kind of had to decide, hey, do you go native? Do you go pseudo native? And at the time, it was like the only, I guess, viable solution might have been like React Native, and we looked. At that, it, but it was like, you know, really. That was it, early too. Like, very, React Native was very, very early. early at that time. And it was a little bit too immature for kind of like what we were looking for. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like why we decided to go vanilla. Yeah, you went Objective C, full native. Yep. And how, how's it been since? So you've been writing that uh, on the team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's after, after you get used to the syntax and everything, I, I have to, you know, I admit it's not the most like um, kind of beautiful thing to look at although some may might you know argue <laughs> otherwise um it it does you know make things a lot uh easier to kind of like target in terms of like hey i want to target network performance and you can really just like dig into you know the libraries that are available that apple gives you um there are other things that you can optimize you know, around like playback that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in a web view. Like that fine grain stuff yes. that you, this is not accessible. You uh, you brought up something about uh, browsers and I totally forgot about that. The a con of hybrid apps is you're still, the, the, the web view part is still running in a browser and those are different depending on which device you're at. So like iOS is going to be Safari, um, uh, Android is going to be Chrome now. I think mostly Samsung Internet which is still a dumb name for a web browser. Uh, I think some of their apps might run in that instead of some of the older legacy stuff might. Yeah, so that's something to be aware of. It's like you have an app, but it's still technically running in browser. So you have all the nuances of CSS and like weird JavaScript engines yeah. that you have to deal with, plus a native app. So that is a downside. We don't want to like be like it's all upside. No, no, I think you're right. There's there we talked about that, and we're kind of getting on those cons. And I think you're right. Is like you're now dealing with the same browsers that you deal with. Well the web view is a little different in each of these implementations and devices. There's just like a lot there to unpack and, and to deal with. Also, debugging. Mm -hmm. Debugging becomes like really, really difficult because you're dealing with those browsers, but also dealing with the bridge. Like you are having to go back to like we talked about earlier is you are handing data or 
features or whatever it is, is you're talking between the browser code to this web view to the bridge. And it's like all these interactions are happening and you have to figure out how this is happening. And if there's something goes wrong in that bridge call, it's not fun to investigate. That's true. So the last one is progressive web apps. Yes. Pros and cons. I mean, I'm excited for progressive web apps. I wish that we were further along with them. I think there's a lot of promise there. I think we can see what I like about them is that we don't necessarily always need an application and that a web app might just be the perfect solution that you need and that maybe people shouldn't be investing in any application for mobile. Maybe the web app is just perfectly fine. Uh, So I like that. It kind of covers a lot of the, well, you're writing it for the browser and you'll pretty much get this for free with some additional work to take advantage of the progressive web app. But to me, that's that's where my head's at on that. The the con is, again, you you with all the other three solutions we talked about, you can still be in an app store. Progressive web apps, they're not in an app store. So you lose discoverability, which for a lot of apps, that's huge. Like being featured in the app store is like their number one source of getting people to look at their app. And I think you Windows that. does actually surface web apps as in their app store. Windows does. Windows is probably the only platform that treats them as a first-class mm-hmm. citizen. Uh, they do that. You can, If you download a Windows app, you can't tell if it's like a mm-hmm. written in Node or written in C Sharp. They do that pretty well. Uh, but you lose that for other forms of apps or for progressive web apps on other platforms. Yeah. And you have to kind of, you almost have to educate the user. Hey, this is how you kind of make it look like it's a... Right. It's not just like download. It's like, oh, you can save this to your desktop and then it launches as an app or feel more app-like. So I I don't think it's a solution to replace the app. I think to me, it's more a way that you may not have to write the app. Like if you truly your company or solution that you're trying to build may not require it, this is one way to think about that. So the pro would be development would be, it's just easier. It's probably One less thing to think about. One less thing to think about. It's easier to find uh, someone who understands JavaScript or can pick it up versus Objective-C or Kotlin or Andro- or Java or something like that. Yeah, and I think the other thing, um, I think I brought it up earlier around, uh, say, reliability, you know, especially in poor network conditions, if it's like loading something that, yeah, it doesn't go quite right. You can't gracefully handle all the air conditions. Exactly. You might not have access, like, again, to some of the lower level network libraries that can inform you that, hey, you know, this is what happened and how to like, you know, fall back onto a condition. So you you are kind of like working in, I, I like this analogy where even in a, in a, like a hybrid app where you have a web view, that, that web application, it's kind of like this little sandbox, <laughs> right? And the kind of native world is like this huge playground. And you're kind of like working in this place where you kind of have access to the playground, but not entirely. I, no, I, I like the sandbox analogy because, yeah, you you are limited. You can only build a progressive web app as performant or with as many features as you can on a web page. And that's it, which is a pro and a con. Like you do have the sandbox. So you're safe. You're not probably not going to break anything. Um, debugging should be a little bit easier, but you don't have the full power that you have of writing any sort of native application. All right. So we've covered a lot. And I I think before we jump into picks, I'd love to hear a takeaway that if a piece of advice that if someone came to you and they were like, I'm writing an application, what should I use? What's the piece of advice that you would give to them? I guess one thing to ask 
uh, when you're considering these options is really around what is the goal of the application that you're building. Because if the goal is user experience, then this is where you might say, okay, if you're trying to get a really great user experience, maybe it's worth targeting that one platform first. If it's, for example, hey, um, monetization, right? That's your goal. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is to then reduce development cost, and maybe it's like, hey, I do want a more of a write once, run anywhere. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know a progressive web app. Maybe that is that solution. So it's like you have to pick that one thing that you want to do. Um, you know, with this app and kind of prioritize that. I like that. That's a good way. Is like it can really it could probably put you down one path or the other yes. very quickly. It, it is that trade-off. I, yeah, I completely agree with all that. It, you really have to say like, what size is my company? What are my goals for the app? Um, I'd say like the size of the company matters a lot more because if you're a 10-person company and you have an Android app, an iOS app, um, and a web app, like you need developers for all individually all of those versus um, you know, if you're a huge company. Like, you know, our size, we can hire a whole team of iOS developers. There, There is plenty of um, companies out here in Silicon Valley that have gone under because they're constantly, like, trying to get their MVP out the door because they're trying to write a native and be shiny and all that. But when in reality, they just need to, like, get it done and then come back later and polish it up. It could be the stage that you're at and, like, thinking of growth and all that as versus polish. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think to another piece to just add on, I agree with both of those points. For me, it's, like, ask a lot of questions and like field for dissent like look for look for other peers and talk through this of like what you know if we took react native as a solution what are the pros and cons and like what are we missing and and do a really good job of like thinking through that as a strategy don't just jump on one and think that that's going to solve your solution i think really thinking strategically and broadly or even if it's a small company think about it get everyone's opinions and thoughts on that obviously someone needs to champion it but i think it really helps to really understand where your company is going and what the direction should be where do you invest in and i mean it, it can vary by company all right in each episode of the podcast we like to share pics of things that we found interesting that we want to share with our listeners jordana uh, what pics do you have that you'd like to share with our listeners i was browsing twitter and, you know, just kind of going through my feed. And then I came across a tweet by an individual named Veronica Lewis, who is a low vision and blindness cane user. And she had this thread about the bird box challenge. And, you know, that challenge has spun off like tons of viral videos and are, you know, pretty unsafe if you think about it. So her thread was, uh, you know, giving us options on, you know, some safe alternatives. And, um, you know, it, it went through, I think like there were 10 options. One of them was like, hey, you know, turn voiceover on, on your devices just to experience. Which what. I've done and it is not easy. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the way down to turning on like audio descriptions on, um, you know, Netflix videos, right? Where you can go into like the sub stubs option. Yep. And, and you could turn your screen to be like black so yep. you really can't see it. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, this is really great to kind of like get people empathizing with, um, you know, users who might have those kinds of disabilities 
And it's for accessibility purposes, especially as like, you know, front end UI devs. This is something that, you know, sometimes falls to the wayside and it shouldn't. It should be like something that's always top of mind. And I think that one way to really kind of like encourage that is like to kind of feel what it's really like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It helps you in your development when you're thinking about it because uh -huh. you've actually experienced it. Yeah. It's empathy. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's definitely one of my topics. Awesome. Jim, what do you have for us? Can I have a, like an anti-pick against Bird Box? I, I won't go on a, I, yeah, I, I won't go on what I thought of that movie, but it, it wasn't very high. I didn't think very highly of that movie. Um, what didn't you like? Let's, without spoilers. Like there's so many plot holes. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, I can't, I can't go into it without spoiling the movie, but there are many like leaps in logic that like just wouldn't I'll, t I'll tell you i'll tell you once we uh, go offline all right so everyone who loved bird box please tweet at jam young and tell him how much you loved bird box and if you hated bird box like me tweet at uh burgess D. ryan on twitter <laughs> just tweet him birds you don't have to say anything just tweet him bird pictures <laughs> uh so my pick this is the first for me um drum roll uh it's a pick from amazon prime video i know i know it's first ever mm. uh i'm picking the jim conophiles um, so it, Jim Connor is a series started by Ken Block, who is a formerly of DC shoes and is a rally driver. Um, pretty much he does just insane things with cars, like just car control. Nobody believe. Um, I was trying to tell my fiance about this and she's like, you're just going on and on and on about this dude. I'm like, yeah, he's like an artist with a car and it's just incredible. Amazon prime has a series about the making of Jim Connor 10, which is the 10th in this video series. And it's, it's a good watch. Um, and Ken Block is almost 50. And he's out there with like 25-year-olds racing and like still winning. It's, wow, that's it's, impressive. It's impressive. My next pick is Forge.js. It's a JavaScript conference in San Francisco. Ryan and I have been the last uh, three or four years. Yeah. Uh, Friend and Happy Hour is doing a panel, which we also did last year. Should be pretty fun. It's the 24th of January. Is that correct? Yep. 24th in San Francisco. San Francisco. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's multi-track. There are a ton of good speakers there. Like I said, we go every year. So if you see us there, say hi. Right on. Good last pick there. I like that. I actually have a couple, not Amazon Prime picks. I have these uh, Netflix original picks, which for, they it wasn't Bird Box. <laughs> First one was a series called You. It's a cool drama about a stalker. That's all I'm going to say. It's, But I really, really enjoyed it. My wife and I watched it fairly quickly um, and, and burned through that. And then I got to share some love for Bandersnatch. Like the Black Mirror Bandersnatch were just... I, it was so amazing. The interactive pieces, I really loved it. Obviously, UI engineering at Netflix had a lot to do with making those interactions. But just as a, as a user of Netflix, I really enjoyed the title. So got to give a pick of that. When I, when I first heard about it, I was... I like came back to my desk and I'm like, wow, this is why I work at Netflix. Not to like gush over the company I work for, but I'm like, this is like such a technical achievement. Regardless of what you think of the plot or the story or whatever, like technically, this is why I work at this company because like they're just like pushing things farther than anybody yeah. thought was and, possible. And this happened like, you know, across the stack. It wasn't just UI. It yep. was also like the streaming, you know, innovation teams. There was just so much going on that, you know, at the end that, people didn't realize, you know, the fact that people didn't really realize all the engineering that went in kind of indicates to me that it's like, oh, it went so well that like, 
it's like oh wow magic yeah it just it came together and it came together really nicely and the end product shows that which is so impressive uh so i gotta you know call that one out because i really loved it too and then on top of that as a third pick on the 29th of january we are actually hosting a javascript talk that's talking through a lot of the platform as well as the UI for creating Bandersnatch. So it's a whole Bandersnatch themed night, which I'm super excited for. Uh, So that's right at Netflix. So yeah, those are my three picks. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Jordana. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great having you. you on. Where can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Jordy Walk, and that is with two E's. Right on. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour Podcast on whatever you enjoy listening to podcasts on, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Android, whatever it is, subscribe. And you can follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Any last words? Bird Box was not good. Let's be honest. It was not a good movie.